It is time to go deeper in God's Word. It's time to engage in truth. Here is Dr. Steve Ford and Pastor John Bornsheen. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is Steve Ford. I'm your co-host for today's show, along with Pastor John Bornsheen, Senior Pastor at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley here in Colorado Springs. Well, we're currently in a series titled The Top 10 Issues That Divide Christians. And in case you missed any of them, all of these broadcasts and many more are archived on the church's website. You can find them along with other helpful information at calvaryfountain.com. That's calvaryfountain.com. Well, last week we discussed how our worldview can determine how we see sexuality and sexual sin. We just, we started a discussion of homosexuality. We also defined homosexuality as being attracted sexually to someone of the same gender. When we look at scripture, we know in John 8 that Jesus said that his disciples would know the truth and that the truth would set them free. Now, Pastor John, you have some well-chosen biblical passages for us today regarding exactly what that truth is in the Bible. <clears throat> Would you please share those with us today? Yeah, well, Steve, it's so good to be back with you here today to talk about this vital subject because we've been talking about a culture of sexual sin, and it's not something that we just want to you know, get through in a 25-minute broadcast. Right. So we've had to break it out over a couple weeks now. We'll continue some of this thematic thread into next week as well. Uh, I think we'll be touching on pornography. That's another big one. Yeah. And it's, so in this, we're, we're just talking about sexual sin as a whole, right? right. It, it's a culture of sexual sin. In the last program, we talked about how even in antiquity, if we look up through archaeology and historians alike, you can see how cultures were dramatically affected by sexual sin that was uh, festering and permeating their cultures. It was a part of even pagan worship and led to just eradication and destruction of the very foundation foundations of their civilization. And now we can go through and see the ruins and the remnants of these things. And they're really to be a testimony to all of us that the Lord takes this seriously. This is a very serious matter in how we conduct ourselves physically with one another. And, and so all sexual sin falls into this bucket. Homosexuality, however, in the church today seems to be the big divisive one, or right. even transgenderism and so forth. And and so we, we just need to cover this from a biblical worldview, really. I mean, you and I can share our opinions all day long, That's and right. the reality in this is that we need to share what does the Bible say on this matter. So I think to start it off, we need to at least get back to uh, the biblical perspective, the foundation that God has established that it was something beautiful between a man and a woman. He created man. He created woman. We were not to blur those lines. And in a monogamous, healthy relationship in marriage, that's what I mean by that. There's a, there's a, the whole courting process. We see the Galilean wedding and everything of the gospel with that as the backdrop and the courting process that go through that. But ultimately this is about two becoming one flesh in marriage and sharing a sexual engagement thereof of the intimacy that God has given them. And the we, we see the procreation that would lead to the fostering of children and go and replenish and fill the earth, right? I mean, this was something that was a command and a beautiful thing that God had established. And we as humans in our sinful ways, distort, pollute, corrupt. And this has been going on since the fall of mankind. Now, this is not something new. And we have found new and 
terrible ways, really, to just uh, distort our bodies and, and to pollute and corrupt with sin. That's, that's what we do. And so we need the, the blood of Jesus Christ, the atoning blood of Christ, who sanctifies and purges these things and changes our mind, our transformed mind, then becomes a way of living in this culture that we, we bear the light and truth. And that's ultimately what we want to do here on Engage in Truth. So in short, we're, we're very unique creatures. Dr. Ford, I think that goes without saying that he created all the animal kingdom, he being God, and then he saved the best for last. He makes man in his own image, and then out of Adam, he forms woman. Out of Adam, he forms Eve, right? So this beautiful demonstration that is something completely separate from all of the animal kingdom, that he would form them in his image, and they would propagate and fill the earth, as he instructed, they would have dominion over all that he had created and act and think like the one who has created them, right? So we have this this beautiful demonstration of this in Genesis chapter 2, and let me just highlight some of those verses, verses 18 to 24. And, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Even the Lord Jesus uh, reiterated this, of the structure, that this was From the very beginning, it was a man and woman, and they were not even to divorce. He tells them in Matthew 19, 8, that it was because of the hardness of their hearts, i.e. sin, the reason why the divorce even entered the equation. It was supposed to be one man, one woman, together, forever, covenant before God. This is the way it was supposed to be, because it's ultimately going to be a demonstration of Christ with his church. That's the image we get in the New Testament. So we were not to mess with it. Covenants were only going to be broken by death. And yet we exchange those vows throughout our culture, even in the church today, with this irreverence for it, as if there's sort of this caveat of asterisk marks behind every word that we can go, well, only if they make me happy, only if things are going my way, only if the money says that we can stay together, you know, as long as they're they're behaving themselves and washing the dishes and so forth, fill in the blank, well, then I'll stay married. And and we give all these caveats to this performance-based relationship and, and totally break everything that God had instructed of the unity of two becoming one. Yeah, what a, a shameful failure for us as Christians and for us as the church uh, in this country. I was speaking with a young man from India, and of course his family were all Hindu, and he said in then in his family and in their culture, they tend not to divorce. What happens is the two sides of the family come together to encourage the young people to stay together. Give it six more months. Let's hang in there. These are the sort of things that happen mm-hmm. in a marriage. You know, you'll get through this. You'll come the other side. So in that particular instance here, we have Hindus, you know, addressing this issue sometimes better than, than we do as Christians and as the church. Right. And it's shame on us. Yeah. Amen. uh, Because we just don't have the same reverential posture that we should before holy God, 
who tells us that we are vessels of his good working, that Christ lives in us. We're a temple of the Holy Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians, and yet we just act like the world. And then we point fingers at all the other sexual sin in our culture (laughs) when we're wrought with this sexual sin of just saying, well, I don't want to be with my partner anymore. I'm going to find another one. Uh, Maybe I'll cheat on her with my eyes, et cetera, et cetera. So this is not about... Uh, pointing our fingers at the That's culture right. without first examining within the church. I, yeah. I mean, we have that wonderful example of the Sermon on the Mount, that while we're trying to pull out the stick from somebody else's exactly. eye, we've got a plank in our own eye. So we can do a much better in this area. Shame on the church for allowing divorce to be so prevalent. Right. It should never have elevated to that level. Certainly, we're failures at times. We, we sin. <laughs> we're not perfect. Uh, but we can do a much better job in this area of modeling what we preach. We're supposed to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And so no wonder the world doesn't want to listen to us when they see such hypocrisy, yeah, right. often within our own walls. We have got a lot of work to do in this area. Proverbs eighteen twenty two says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So we have to get into the seriousness now of at least examining the topic before us. When we look at sexual sin in the culture and how much the church has started to adopt, not all churches, certainly not ours, and not Calvary chapels for the most part that I'm understanding of, but certainly there are other denominations that have started to embrace the cultural, secular perspective on this that homosexuality is no longer a sin. And then when you start changing the written word of God, then you're going to start embracing all other forms of sexual sin and start saying, well, that's not so bad either. Oh, that's not when, that's not so bad either. We'll just redefine it all so that the, the culture accepts us and we likewise then accept the culture and, and everybody is just happy and there's no conviction, right? Yeah. Uh, and no conviction of sin. But the Bible is very clear on this matter about homosexuality. If we keep the main thing the main thing here, uh, we have to understand that the Bible has to be read for what it is saying, no eisegetical perspective here. It's an exegesis of his word. We're taking an exegetical perspective where we just read it, and there are many who don't like it. And then what they say is that we're just misinterpreting the text, and yet over and over again, it is quite clear. Here are some of those. Leviticus 18.22, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Leviticus 20, verse 13, if a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Now, again, this is written around 1440 BC, right? So this is nothing new. These are the sexual sins that have permeated cultures uh, generation after generation. Uh, 1 Timothy, actually, let me take you back to 1 Corinthians 6 on this, verses 9 to 10. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. That's a boy. That is that is huge right there. And we try to blur all these lines. And he's saying you can't be transformed by the washing and renewing of your mind and yet fully embrace sin without any grieving of your heart. That's what repentance is. We right. turn away from our sins. Romans 1, 27 says, likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which 
was due. Deuteronomy 22.5, a woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. Now that gets into some of the uh, cross-dressing transgender perspectives in our culture today. Again, nothing new. The Genesis account of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is also relevant. Obviously, it's it's too long for us to be able to cover on the broadcast here today. You go back and read Genesis 19 on that. But here's what we're supposed to learn. It's covered quite well in one chapter. Jude has one chapter. In verse 7, it says, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And so it's quite clear on this subject. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is not changing in this. And and some people then say, well, those were the words of the Apostle Paul, or you know, maybe they're not, we're misinterpreting, or we're just taking the words of a man or traditions at that time and trying to inf- in- infuse those into our modern uh, worship of God. Well, it, you can't take out the instructions from the Apostle Paul. It's all part of the canonized text. In fact, it was Peter who in 2 Peter 3.16 says, as also in all his, talking about the Apostle Paul's epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. So here it was almost like, wow, the Bible already knew that the things the Apostle Paul would be speaking of would be denied and rejected. And here Peter has to then step up and say, yes, these are scripture and people will distort it. (laughs) Amazing how that works. Uh, A preemptive strike there. Uh, so what we look at this is we go, there's there's a number of not only biblical arguments for sexual purity and, and not distorting how that was supposed to work between a husband and a wife only in a covenant relationship before God. We then, you look at all sorts of extra biblical arguments that start to come into this, right? Some people might say, well, homosexuality doesn't harm anyone, all right? It, it, why, why are you so caught up in this? Mind your own business, I mean, it's not negatively impacting society, as they might say. And historically speaking, for example, every single culture that has compromised the traditional view of family embracing practices such as homosexuality have not survived. There is ultimately a cascading effect that leads to the full cup, the wrath of God having to be poured out. It could be by way of famine, earthquake, war, all sorts of devastations that come upon them, even economically, monetarily, you hit them in the pocketbooks. It's amazing how many cultures cease to exist. We see in one case, I believe it was Ephesus, where the whole waterway was moved away from them, right? So God will only tolerate these things for so long, but that is God in his mercy, that all would repent That's right. and turn from their wicked ways. We even see other arguments like consenting adults can do what they want, right? It's none of your business. Let them do that. Uh, this really comes back to the, the the key issues that we think that somehow our sin doesn't impact other people. Uh, and, and we'll be talking about that to a great extent in our next broadcast, Dr. Ford, of even pornography. And right. we think that's just a, a sin of the individual. It's not anybody else's business. And reality is, is that those kind of sins affect everything. That's right. It affects how you engage with other people, children's children. It affects businesses, how you spend time, your engagement with God, your service to him. It's all impacted by the distortion of the mind. 
And we see the Lord speak to that on the Sermon on the Mount. You've looked at a woman with lust in your heart. You've already committed adultery with her, right? I mean, that's that's how impactful the mind and its thoughts can be. So, of course, we're going to see ramifications of this throughout society, and it only gets further and more distorted as it goes. One generation might be seemingly given into what we might deem as one level of sexual sin, and then the next level gets even worse and worse until it's like what we see with Sodom and Gomorrah, where they're like banging on the doors to try to take advantage of a stranger coming into their midst. I mean, it it leads to barbarism of all sorts. Uh, Then we have the argument that somehow people say, well, it's all about their genetics. you're, You're condemning them based on their genetics. Now, listen, Here's a great quote from Norm Geisler on this. He says, there are serious problems with the theory that such a propensity is genetic rather than learned. For example, if homosexuality is genetic, how have the responsible genes been passed from generation to generation? After all, homosexuals, by definition, can't pass on anything because they don't reproduce. Perhaps recessive genes are partly responsible. Who knows? If there is a genetic link, researchers are in the dark. Furthermore, if sexual orientation is fixed from birth, why do some homosexuals switch to heterosexuality or bisexuality? Again, this is he's calling out quite evidently here that this is a choice. This is about how we desire to express ourselves and living it up. And this is my free will to act in this way. So there isn't an identifiable gene here, and I would argue that when we read Psalms chapter 58, verse 3, for example, he says that we're wicked from birth. Now, the response to that is that we turn from sin, not embrace it. I've heard men in counseling sessions say that they can't just remain faithful to one woman, that they have to sow their oats. They've got to go and be with as many women as they can because that's how they they're really feel satisfied. It's like, that doesn't make it right. right. You, you want to suppress that. You want to be the person God has called you to be because what you want is an excuse to go and live in your sin and not turn from it. Right. And then you want everything to be rewritten around you so you can justify it. That's not how this works. You discipline out the ungodly ways from your children. You don't let them mature. Uh, opponents will then also say, well, you're just being narrow-minded. You're just being intolerant. And, and you just want a particular people group just to you know, not have their rights like you have your rights. Uh, and, and that is, you know what, let me just explore this one a little bit further. Facts show that the majority of homosexuals who live their lives in this lifestyle live far shorter lives than others. Okay, a study showed that the median age of death for a homosexual man who did not have AIDS was only 42 years, 42 years old. That's it for homosexual men who did have AIDS. The median age of death was 39. Homosexuals are dying at nearly half the age of the general population. So here where we say you're just being narrow minded, let them do what they want to do. You're talking about a culture where people are dying. And we have to care about this. It's not just that they're dying physically, they're dying spiritually. We want them to know the truth. The truth would set them free. They have the hope of Jesus Christ. It's not just that they live in this body, but they live eternally with Jesus Christ. So we're trying to cover both bases here. You're going to suffer in this body, and others around you will suffer, and you're going to suffer spiritually forever. I mean, that's how big this is. So this is a 
broader issue than sometimes we we really allow it to be because it is it is a deep issue that affects generations to come let me try to dr ford uh, let me try to summarize this this is the position statement that our church wrote on this issue and i i hope this helps kind of clear up some of this you see the bible affirms two options or giftings for sexual expression monogamous marital relations between one man and one woman, you see that from Genesis chapter 1 and 2, Matthew 19, Mark 10, 1 Corinthians 7, Hebrews 13, and Ephesians 5, just to name a few, or sexual celibacy. That's another expression. If one is not in a monogamous marital relationship between one man and one woman, then celibacy is the only alternative, according to 1 Corinthians 7, 7, and Matthew 19, 12. And within this biblical design, there can be found sexual fulfillment, whereas outside this design, sexual expression is improper, according to 1 Corinthians 6, 13 to 20, and Leviticus chapter 18 and 20. So the Bible affirms that human sexuality is a gift to be treasured and enjoyed, as is sexual celibacy. And the only way to express human sexuality is only with a marriage partner. So the fall of humanity, according to Genesis 3, corrupted human sexuality in both spiritual and physical ways. We can draw that from Romans 1 and Ephesians 2. And one result is confusion and pain in the lives of those who struggle with brokenness regarding gender and who struggle with the guilt of desiring sinful expressions of sexuality. And we see that in Genesis 3 and Romans 3. So the biblical perspective of this, the biblical worldview, it prescribes faith in Jesus Christ as the only solution to this. According to 1 Corinthians 15, it's the remedy and the provision for life. And the Bible prescribes an ongoing relationship with him as the means for a whole and fulfilling life. While we're trying to fill all these voids in our life with everything else, even sexual expression, the one who truly fills it is Jesus Christ. And in this, he transforms our mind, our way of thinking, how we engage in this world, and then we truly understand fulfillment. Let me try to bring it all home with this. We understand the Bible to teach that we must not condone sin while demonstrating compassion for sinners, according to Romans 3.23, distinguishing between the value and identity of each person as an individual and the behavioral choices which some individuals may make, according to Galatians 5, 19 to 25. So we understand the Bible to differentiate between recognition of personhood and rejection of those actions which it defines as immoral, while simultaneously extending forgiveness and healing to all who respond in believing faith to its universal offer of God's grace in Luke 15 and John 8. Dr. Ford, I think uh, Dr. Albert Moeller said it just wonderfully. He's a seminary president. He said it this way. Our response to persons involved in homosexuality must be marked by genuine compassion. But a central task of genuine compassion is telling the truth. And the Bible reveals a true message that we must convey. Those seeking to contort and subvert the Bible's message are not responding to homosexuals with compassion. To lie is never compassionate, and their lie leads unto death. That's why, Dr. Ford, we're on the air saying this, not to condemn, but to speak truth in love, that if we see people who are in sin, unwilling to repent of that sin and turn from that sin, ultimately what that means, it leads to eternal death. 
And what we hope and and hard in this, I know, I don't want to speak for you, Doctor Ford, is that families would hear this message. That that moms and dads out there who are dealing with this as well, individuals of all sorts, as they are struggling, perhaps even over a loved one, that they turn all of this to Jesus Christ. That they be a spokesperson of truth, not in arrogance and pride, but with the hope that lives can be saved from all sin that infiltrates their life and leads them away from the cross. That's ultimately my heart in this. And Dr. Ford, I don't know if you have any final thoughts for our listener today. No, it is. I think you made a great distinction there that what we're talking about is unrepentant habitual sin. Mm-hmm. And just because you know people have the freedom to make these choices doesn't necessarily make them good choices or wise choices or God-fearing choices. For that direction, as you pointed us, we need to look to the Bible. Amen. Amen. Well, we want to thank you for listening to Engage in Truth today as we wrap up this two-part now on this very difficult topic on homosexuality, but it is also part of an arcing thread, if you will, a, a theme that we're going to be covering about sexual sin in our culture. So we'll continue in some thought process related to it as we explore pornography next week. That's going to be a tough conversation as well. But to listen to this program and all the others, go to calvaryfountain.com. There you can listen, share with your friends and family alike. Maybe you've been praying for somebody they need to hear this broadcast. Again, it's a calvaryfountain.com. And this is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. Services are 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sundays, and we'd love to see you there. God bless you, my friends. Take care.